It's so good to be with you this weekend and to hear a story like we just heard of a woman who learned to do just that, to wait on the Lord. And I'd like to begin by telling you a couple other stories of people I know well, people who have something in common with we's. See if you can see the thread, the common thread here. Um, First of all, I have a friend named Brad. Brad has worked in the construction business for over 20 years. And life was going pretty well and steady until about the year 2009 when the economy took such a bad turn. Uh, Fairly soon, Brad was finding trouble uh, getting work, and he hunted and hunted in all of the Chicago area. He was willing to drive long distances, but everything just dried up. And eventually, he had to declare bankruptcy. Unfortunately, his marriage also did not survive that season, And he's now divorced, working two low-paying, full-time jobs, living in an apartment, trying to rebuild his life. I have another friend named Mike, not quite as sad a story, but Mike has accepted a new opportunity, a new position out in Colorado. But this very summer, he and his wife have had to sell their home. They have rented a new space out west. They are marrying their oldest daughter. The wedding is in a couple weeks. Their son is going off to a new college. So, so many things are different, and they are about to leave all that has been familiar to them. Not so different from my older daughter, uh, Samantha. She's 23. She's done with college. She had kind of a gap year doing an apprenticeship. And in a few weeks, we're going to get in a car and drive her to New York City. She's going to move into literally a closet and live uh, in Brooklyn and try to make it as a working actress in New York City. And her father and I hope the working part really comes true. She'll probably be a waitress and an actress, but that's the plan. Now, what do all these stories have in common, including uh, Weez's story? Well, obviously, all these people are going through a season of change, every single one of them. And we all go through certain seasons when our circumstances have sort of been the same for a while and then all of a sudden something significant shifts. It could be when we head off to college, when we get married, we start a family, a new job, maybe changing your residence, the empty nest, a divorce or the death of a spouse, uh, moving into a retirement community. There are times when everything seems so familiar and then it gets altered and we find ourselves feeling shaky and wobbly when these winds blow. Joan London says we, that the only person who really likes change is a wet baby. And I can really relate to that. Some of us in the room today are in a season of transition. And maybe it's a change that you welcome. Or maybe it's one that you didn't see coming. One that you really wish was not here. If you're not in some kind of transition now, I am certain that you've gone through some changes in the past, and you will once again in the future. I've experienced a lot of transition in the last few years. I left a role in church ministry that I played for 25 years. That's a long time. Uh, My husband and I became empty nesters with our two daughters heading off and starting their lives as young adults. My parents, who are 92 and 90, moved in with my sister about 30 minutes away from me. They both have health issues, and I find myself entering into their lives quite a bit these days. And I'm learning a lot about change, about myself, and about my degree of trust 
in my Heavenly Father when life feels so uncertain. I find myself navigating new territory, and this is what Pastor Jeff Mannion calls the land between. Have any of you been in that land? The land between. There are two kinds of life change. One is triggered by external events. We talked about some of those already, moving, a job change, or a new health challenge. Other transitions are more developmental. We all go through periods of adolescence, midlife, the empty nest, retirement. But the truth is that change happens, and it must happen. William Bridges defines transition this way. Transition is the natural process by which one dies to a new life. The natural process by which one dies to a new life. He describes three phases during any transition. And it's really helped me, as I've studied this a little bit, to know that what I'm experiencing is actually quite normal. These are phases that are actually somewhat predictable. Here's what they look like. We start with endings. Then we move into the neutral zone, or the land between. And then we eventually emerge toward new beginnings. Now we're going to explore each of these phases for a bit, and we're also going to see how they were lived out in the life of one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament. Let's start by looking at endings. You know, we cannot do well in the season of transition unless we recognize that something is ending and we're willing to let go. And this can be very, very difficult for us to do. Endings are traumatic because we may be afraid to let go of what is familiar, what we're comfortable with, of whatever it is that is over now. Bridges says there are four aspects to the endings phase, and all of them begin with the prefix D-I-S. None of them sound too inviting to me, but here they are. Disengagement. That's the separation from whatever it is you have lost. Disidentification. This is a big one, especially if you change jobs. This is the way the loss destroys the old identity. Disenchantment. The way the loss tears you out of the old reality that you accepted unthinkingly. And disorientation, which is essentially feeling bewildered and lost. A person in the endings phase might say something like this. I don't even know who I am anymore without my old job. Or... With our last child off to college, the house feels so quiet. Or maybe I miss the people in my old neighborhood or on my old team. You know, rarely do people warn us about the lost side of making a change. We have to remember that these are experiences of dying. Remember Bridges said transition is the way of dying toward a new life. But first we have the dying. These kind of transitions and endings challenge our basic sense of who we are, and we are afraid that it will actually be the end of us. It's surprising to me that even changes that we perceive as good ones, as really welcome ones, still include some aspect of loss, at least a little bit. I don't know if you read last Sunday's Chicago Tribune included an article by a single mom. Her name is Heidi Stevens, and she recently moved to a new house with her two young children. Heidi reports that leading up to the move, the kids were so excited because they were going to have a backyard in this new house and they were each going to have their own rooms. They could not wait. But when the move actually happened, that night, both children went to bed with tears. They were sobbing for their old life, for the condo that they couldn't wait to leave. Heidi's words leapt out at me. She says, loving a new place 
doesn't mean you don't long for the old place. And that's true whether the old place is an actual physical dwelling or a place in time shaped by memories and nostalgia. Well, I invite you to pick out your Bibles, if you have one handy, because we're going to look at how the seasons of transition played out in the life of Joseph. This is described in the book of Genesis. It's one of the longest narrative stories, really, in the entire Bible. I invite you on your own sometime to read from chapter 37 all the way through chapter 50. Those 13 chapters are the life of Joseph. But let me uh, sum up a little bit for you before we dig in. Joseph lived for a total of 110 years. And his entire life was a dramatic example of one change after another. I think his story would make a fantastic movie. Most of you know that when Joseph was a little boy, life was kind of cushy and good, actually. His father adored him more than all of his 11 brothers. He received that fancy, colorful coat we learned about when we were younger. It was a gift from his dad. But you know, that preferential treatment infuriated the brothers. And their jealousy led them to sell him into slavery. Joseph was taken very far away to the land of Egypt. And it was a huge ending for life as Joseph had known it before. He found himself at a very young age removed from all that was familiar. His family, his home, his people, and his country. Now we're going to come back to him in just a moment. But I have a question for those of you in a season of change. Have you named What is over now? What is it that you need to let go of? It's naming what is over, being willing to admit it, and then being willing to release it. We're never going to be able to move forward until we loosen our grip on what is behind us. In my season of transition, I realized that after over 20 years, I would no longer be leading a team that felt like my family. Over time, I needed to grieve that loss to learn to let go of my identity in my old role. And frankly, what I really learned is that my identity should never be grounded in a role that I play. My primary identity should be that I am a daughter of the Most High God. That's my primary identity. But you know, during those wobbly transition times, I felt like my entire foundation was at risk, that I was kind of lost in the land between That's because I was facing the second phase of transition, the dreaded neutral zone. That's what Weez was talking about, this time of waiting. The neutral zone is a time of emptiness when we can't see clearly what is happening. I love these words by Marilyn Ferguson. She says, it's not so much that we're afraid of change or so in love with the old ways, but it's that place in between that we fear. It's like being in between trapezes. You've let go of one and you haven't quite caught the next one. It's like Linus when his blanket is in the dryer. There's an image. There's nothing to hold on to. Now this neutral zone requires a lot of waiting. And most of us don't like to wait. When you hear the word wait, what do you think of? You think of getting in the oh-so-wrong line at the grocery store, right? Where the person in front of you has like 23 coupons or they need a price check from the produce guy who cannot be found. Or you think of going to get your driver's license renewed, how long that takes. Or maybe those cold, austere waiting rooms at the doctor's office. None of us like to wait. It feels like we're just killing time. The waiting room is not our favorite place. We see it as an enemy of productivity. It's irrelevant. It's irritating. 
we would do very well to listen to the wise philosopher Winnie the Pooh, who said, don't underestimate the value of doing nothing, of just going along listening to all the things you can't hear and not bothering. You know what I'm learning? I'm learning that God wants you and me to learn how to wait. The Psalms are filled with that phrase, wait on the Lord. And there are lessons that can only be learned in the neutral zone, wondering if the phone will ring, if the house will sell, if the medicine will work, if the wedding will come together, if the toddler will ever get potty trained, if the job offer will be delivered. Pastor Jeff Mannion tells us that our time of waiting offers us a dramatic choice. And this is so significant. We have a choice when we're waiting to either grow in our character or cave into bitterness and despair. Here's what he writes. He says, I firmly believe that the land between, that space where we feel lost or lonely or deeply hurt, is fertile ground for our spiritual transformation and for God's grace to be revealed in magnificent ways. But while the land between is prime real estate for faith transformation, it is also the space, get this, it is also the space where we can grow resentful and bitter and caustic if our responses are unguarded. The wilderness where faith can thrive is the very desert where it can dry up and die. When you and I find ourselves in that place of waiting, that middle space between what was familiar and the unknown, what will we choose? I think we need to ask ourselves a question in the neutral zone, and it's this. What am I learning? What am I learning? There are always lessons to be learned in the land between. You see, God's primary agenda for you and me, we need to back up and take the big picture. What is his primary agenda for us? It's that we would grow to become more like Jesus in every way, right? That is his purpose for us. And seasons of transition are one of our Heavenly Father's greatest tools for character growth. This was definitely true for Joseph. So let's go back to his story. After he was sold into slavery and transported to Egypt, his situation improved. He was finding great success serving an Egyptian official as the manager of a lot of land. So in chapter 39, Genesis 39, verse 2, this is what we read. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. This sounds like good times again for Joseph, right? His leadership ability is recognized. He was flourishing, even though he was in a foreign land. But what happens next? Well, Joseph was a really good-looking guy, and the boss's wife tried to seduce him. He refused, but when her husband returned, she lied. She claimed that Joseph had pursued her, so Joseph was thrown into prison. A huge transition once again. There he is, sitting in jail for a crime he didn't commit. But once again, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him kindness. Genesis 39, 21 tells us that God granted Joseph favor in the eyes of the prison warden. 
So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. Do you see a pattern here? He found favor now with another leader, and he put Joseph in charge of those in prison. Verse 23 says, The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Now, while Joseph was waiting in prison, another series of events must have rocked his world and really threatened his trust. In fact, if we were to draw a graph of Joseph's life so far, it would have huge ups and downs, mountains and valleys. We're about to go down again into the valley. Here's what happened. There were two other inmates in the jail who worked for the king. One was the cupbearer and one was the baker. And after some time, each of those guys had a dream on the same night. And they were dreams they couldn't figure out. Well, God gave Joseph the ability to interpret those dreams. Now, for the cupbearer, it was a good report. His dream pointed to the fact that he would soon be released from prison. But the baker got horrible news. His dream meant that he would be killed. So Joseph asks the cupbearer, the one who's going to get out, he says, you know what, when you get out, would you please put in a good word for me with the Pharaoh? Let him know that I don't deserve to be here. I didn't do what they claim I did. Now I've tried to imagine Joseph's experience. Put yourself in his shoes for just a moment. Put yourself in this story. God had given him favor with the warden and enabled him to interpret those dreams. That's a gift. Joseph knew that that came from God. He must have been thinking, my release is just around the corner. It's going to happen really, really soon. My time of waiting must be coming to an end. That's what I would think. But that is not what happened. Verse 23 says, The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Got out of jail. Totally forgot how he got out of jail. And the first verse of chapter 41 tells us, Two more years passed. Two entire years. At this point, I don't know about you, but I would be inclined to think that God had forgotten all about me. If I were Joseph, I would think I have been abandoned. He'd been catapulted into slavery by his brothers, sent to prison for a crime he didn't commit, and now he's languishing there, having been overlooked by the cupbearer completely. Talk about living in the dreaded neutral zone. And yet, there is a phrase repeated several times in the Joseph story. I'm sure you've picked up on it already. Here it is. But the Lord was with Joseph. Let's say that aloud together. But the Lord was with Joseph. If you track this story, you're going to read that several times. There was never a time in Joseph's life when God was not with him. In the ditch or in the prison, or even when he was soaring as a government official. Even in the scariest of places and darkest of moments, Joseph knew that his God was with him and for him. And when you and I find ourselves in the land between, all we know is that we are not where we were, and we're not yet where we're headed. And the biggest question of all for you and me in that zone is, will we trust God while we wait? Will we trust him? while we wait. I am currently emerging out of the neutral zone, out of the land between, and I'm now able to see how in the last three years God has been growing my trust. There were so many days when I felt lost and I couldn't seem to adjust. I wondered, you know, 
I'm going to so miss the past. And I wondered, are my best years behind me? I didn't know if I could adjust to being a mom in a different kind of way, whose kids didn't need her all the time every day, needed me in a different way, but they weren't around all the time. I'm in a new phase of life that on the surface may not seem as adventurous as my past. I've had to seek God in a deeper way and choose to trust him with an uncertain future. And here's what I learned, just as Joseph did, just as we did, and as many of you have learned. Our God is absolutely trustworthy. Absolutely. Time and again, he has shown me, you're not really lost. You think you're lost, but I know exactly where you are. I see you, and I'm for you. And you may not understand all this right now, but I am guiding your steps. I've learned some vital lessons during this season that I don't think I could have learned any other way, especially lessons about trust and patience. I've become more childlike in my trust. And I've been holding tightly to some verses in Psalm 131. They're familiar verses, I'm sure, to many of you. This is a very maternal picture of God, a very maternal picture. The words say, My heart is not proud. Lord, my eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with matters, with great matters, or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed myself and quieted my ambitions. I am like a weaned child. Like a weaned child, I am content. A while back, I was sitting in the back row in church, and a mom was holding her two-year-old. And it was, church was over, and it was transition time. People were coming and going, and I was just meeting her and visiting with her. And her little girl had just the beginning of a fever, She had brought her because she was fine when she brought her, but somehow she was starting to get sick. And you could see it all over her face and, you know, in her eyes. You could just tell. And this little girl was leaning up against her mom. Her face was kind of sweaty, and her mom was rubbing her hair. She was leaning up, and I was thinking, there's no place on earth that that child would rather be. She is leaning up against the one she knows is safe and going to protect her, and love her. And if you find yourself in the neutral zone, I want to invite you to, in effect, crawl into the lap of our Heavenly Father and lean against him like a trusting young child. Make the bold choice to trust him even though your path is not yet clear. Well, we're not going to be in the land between forever. The good news is that the third phase is the new beginnings. Joseph was finally released from prison when the cupbearer heard that the Pharaoh had a complicated dream. Two years later, Pharaoh has a complicated dream, and the cupbearer says, Oh, yeah. Oh, man, there was this guy in jail, and he interpreted my dream. Maybe he could help you. So they called Joseph in, and he was able to warn Pharaoh about years of plenty to come and years of famine. And he suggested a plan to save up food for the entire region For the years of famine. Take a look at what happened next. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. 
So Pharaoh takes the signet ring from his finger and we're told he put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen. He put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command and people shouted, make way, make way. Joseph was put in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Wow. Talk about a new beginning. I imagine, maybe this is just me, but if I was Joseph, I would think, you know, when is the next shoe going to drop? You know, it's like this and this and this and this. Now I'm riding high. All of a sudden, I'm plucked from the darkness of prison to the number two spot in the land. So I have a question. Are there any new beginnings in your life these days? If so, I hope you're able to fully embrace them. The evil one is going to try to fill you with fear and doubt and anxiety about what is new. He wants you to stay stuck in the neutral zone, to become filled with bitterness and sarcasm. Don't allow him to rob you of the joy of a fresh start. Yes, it may be wobbly, but there is still joy in new beginnings. Consider what season of life you're in these days. Are you in a time that feels relatively stable? with little change? If so, I hope you will rest in the peace of this time, knowing that one day the winds of transition are going to blow again in your life. But for those of you in one of the phases of transition, here are some good questions to wrestle with, key questions. We've talked about them. First, what is over now? What do I need to let go of? What am I learning? Am I open to what God might want to teach me in this season? Who am I trusting, really? Who am I trusting? And am I able to embrace the new? You see, times of transition, if we allow them to be our teacher, will give us a tremendous perspective. I think one day we will look back and begin to understand what God had in mind. Not always. Not always do we figure it out. I think we're all going to have a few questions when we get to heaven. Like, what was that about? You know, but I think many of these mysteries do start to become clear. And this was certainly true for Joseph. In the last chapter of Genesis, we find him reunited with his brothers. It's such a great story. This would be like the climax of the movie. Um, His brothers and father come there because of the famine in their land, and they need food. They're searching for food. And his brothers recognize Joseph. And they throw themselves at his feet, and they beg for his forgiveness. But Joseph has a divine perspective. On all of this. This is what he said to his terrified brothers. Don't be afraid. Am I not in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Did you catch that? God intended it for good. I don't know what kind of change or challenges you're facing. For many of you, it's quite difficult, maybe way deeper than what I've been going through the last few years. But I do know this. It is hard to wait, and it's hard to trust. But if we will learn the lessons of perseverance and patience, if we will truly wait on the Lord, I believe we're going to see how he's weaving our circumstances for the good, ultimately for the good. But we have to cooperate with his work in us while we are waiting. It's our choice. It's totally our choice how to respond when we walk through transition. I want to close with these words from Jeff Mannion. He says, Dramatic growth requires pain. I hate that, but it's true. You know, 
Dramatic growth requires pain. Remember this when you find yourself in a maddening detour. Remember that God is at work in all things, that he desires to shape and transform you. Resist the temptation to zone out, numb out, or check out. God intends to grow something beautiful and deep and lasting. But we must cooperate with God for the season of hardship to work its intended transformation. Don't let your detour go wasted. You are in training, and God is up to something good. Now, I know that some of you are currently in a season of transition. It may be uh, that you are already in the ending phase and you're letting, trying to let go of something. You may be in the land between, in the neutral zone, or you may already be with a fresh new beginning, the early, shaky, wobbly stages of a new beginning. But if you are in a season of transition, whether at this campus or whatever site you are at, in whatever room you are at of Compass right now, I would like to ask you to have the courage to stand because we want to pray for those in a season of transition. So whether it's an ending, a neutral zone, or a new beginning, would you please stand to your feet? Wherever we are. Okay. Now we're going to pray for these folks. And if you're anywhere near them and you want to lay a hand on their arm or just kind of aim your own arm towards someone around you, you may not even know them, but we're going to ask God for his strength and power and sovereignty in the lives of our brothers and sisters going through change and transition. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we admit that we don't always understand your agenda. In fact, lots of times it's a mystery to us. But Father, we pray that whether we are needing to let go of something and admit that a certain phase is over now, or perhaps, Father, if we are in that neutral zone where nothing is making much sense, or Lord, if we're just beginning something new, a fresh start, we pray, Father, that we will choose to trust you, that we will allow you to do your good work in us during this season that we won't become bitter, that we won't just numb out and check out, but that we will learn the lessons you have for us to learn. Father, may we be like children crawling up into your lap and saying, Abba, Father, I don't get this, but I'm going to trust you for an uncertain future. And I'm going to choose to believe that you are with me, just as you were with Joseph. You are with me and you are for me. Thank you for being our Heavenly Father. We admit that you have a perspective that we don't have. Help us to trust you in that, God. And may each of these folks standing, may they know your peace, your unexplainable, deep, real, rich peace. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Okay, I'd like to ask everybody to stand. And we have an opportunity to sing a song together that really affirms this truth. That we can bless the name of the Lord no matter what kind of season we are in. That we are going to choose to trust him. So I invite you to sing this with conviction. With the spirit of saying, God, that's how I want to be. That's how I want to be. Whether I'm riding high and soaring or whether I'm at a very low point, I'm going to bless your name. And I'm going to choose to trust you. Let's sing together.